When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. I'm your host, Keith, better known as the Radio Show Nerd. And tonight's episode is entitled The Classics. And that's in reference of adaptations of two well-known short stories featured on the radio programs tonight. So, without further ado, this is Terra Radio. The two radio series highlighted this evening are Mysterious Circumstances and Murder at Midnight. Now, Mysterious Circumstances isn't as well known, and I wasn't able to find that much information about the radio program. What I did discover is that it was a series of radio plays, 26 total, that were distributed by the BBC Transportation Service. And from what I gather, it looks as if It began in the late 50s and lasted until the early 70s. Although I did find two episodes from the early 1980s. So I'm assuming it may have had a few revivals. The radio play tonight is an adaptation of Monkey's Paw which was a short story written by W.W. Jacobs in September of 1902. Now, this episode was directed by Gordon House, and unfortunately, I do not have the date of the first broadcast. So, you know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to The Monkey's Paw. Mysterious Circumstances presents a classic tale of suspense by W.W. W. Jacobs, The Monkey's Paw. Deep and dead, aren't you? Means to say he's beaten you at last. Oh, no. Why, he's overlooked my bishop. Uh, oh, I see. Uh, let me have that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Rules of the game. Hmm. Well, I don't know with them scientific rules. You tell what ought to be an innocent relaxation. Don't talk so much, Father. You put him off. Uh, not he. Now. Ooh, up at the wind. Uh, I'm listening. I should uh, hardly think Sergeant Major Morris will come tonight. Checkmate. What? 
<laughs> That's the worst of living so far out. Your friends can't come for a quiet chat, and we haggle our brains over a confounded game of chess. Now, Father, Morris will turn up all right. Lovers Lane, Fulham. <laughs> all the beastly, slushy, out-of-the-way places to live in. Pathways are bog, the roads are torrent. Never mind, dear. Perhaps you'll win tomorrow. Perhaps I'll... Perhaps I'll win tomorrow. What do you mean? Yes. You always know what's going on inside of me, don't you, Mother? I ought to, after 30 years. Which isn't such a bad place, Dad, after all. Home-like, I call it. And so do you, or you wouldn't have bought it. Oh. Nice job I made of that, too, with £200 owing on it. Why, I shall work that off in no time, Dad. Matter of three years with the rise promised me. Mm, if you don't get married. Not me. Not that sort. Oh, I wish you would, Herbert. A good, steady woman. Lots of time, Mother. Sufficient for the day, as the saying goes. Just now, my dynamos don't leave me any time for lovemaking. Jealous they are, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I lay awake at night often, and I think if ever took a nap and let his, uh, what do you call them, dynamos run down, all Fulham would be in darkness. <laughs> what a joke. Joke! And me with a sack. Pretty idea of a joke you've got, I don't think. Oh. Oh, oh that's him. That's the sergeant major. I wonder what yarn he's got for us tonight. Uh, don't let the door slam, John. All right, all right, all right. Sleepy quick, right. It's as much as I can do to hold it against the wind. Oh, awful, awful. <laughs> and a mile up the road by the cemetery, it's worse. Enough to blow the air off your head. Give me a stick. Yeah. If it wasn't that I knew what a welcome I'd get, Sergeant Major Morris. Oh, so cold you must be. Come to the fire, Dewey, now. How are you, ma'am? Oh, nicely, thank you. How's yourself, laddie? Thank well, you, sir. on duty yet, eh? Working days now, are you? Oh, no, sir. But there's half an hour yet. Still on night shifts. Nice hot drink for you, Sergeant. Thank you kindly, ma'am. Uh, sit down, Morris. Oh, thank you. Ah, oh, oh, that's good. <laughs> That's a sight better than the trenches at Chitral. That's better than sitting in a puddle with the rain pouring down in buckets and the natives taking pot shots at you. Didn't you have no umbrellas? Umbrellas? <laughs> That's good, eh, White? That's good. <laughs> Hear what you said? Umbrellas. And galoshes, I suppose. And hot water bottles. Oh, oh yes. Well, no offence, ma'am, but it's easy to see you was never a soldier. Mother spoke out of kindness, sir. Um, well, I know it, so no offence intended. No, ma'am. Hardship. Hardship is the soldier's lot. Starvation, fever, and get yourself shot. Uh, that's a bit of me hope. <laughs> you don't look to have taken much harm. Uh, oh, no, ma'am, no. Tough. Thomas Morris is tough. And sober. Here you are, Sergeant. Oh, uh, what's this now? <laughs> Put your nose in it and you'll see. Whiskey. Yes. And hot and sugar. And a slice of lemon. No. No, I said I'd never. Oh? Well, seeing the sort of night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's another thousand a year. Same to you and many of them. What, uh, not drinking, Herbert? Oh, didn't for want of being sociable. But my work don't go with it. Oh. I've got to keep a cool head, a steady eye and a still hand. Or the flywheel might gobble me up. Oh, don't, Herbert. <laughs> no fear, Mother. Oh, you electricians. Sort of magicians you are. Light, says you, and light it is, and power, says you, and the trams go whizzing, and knowledge, says you, and words go up into the edge of the world. That fear beats me. 
And I've seen a bit of me time, too. What? Your Indian magic? All a fake, that. Fake, you call it. I tell you, I've seen it. Oh, come now, Sergeant. Such as what? Come now. I've seen a cove with no more clothes on and a babby, if you know what I mean. Huh? Take an empty basket, empty, mind. As empty as, uh, what is this here, glass? Uh, oh, oh, hand it over, Morris. I'll fill it up. Which was not my intentions, but used for illustration. I've seen the basket trick, and I've read how it was done. Why, well, I, I could do it myself with a bit of practice. Now ladle out something stronger. Stronger? Yeah. What do you say to an old fake here, chucking a rope up in the air, in the air, mind you, and swarming up it, same as if it was hooked on, and vanishing clean out of sight? <laughs> I've seen that. You must think I'm stupid. You mean to say you doubt me, word? No, 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 he's only taking you off. You shouldn't, Herbert. Herbert was always one for a bit of fun. But it's true. Why, if I chose, I could tell you things. And there, you don't get no more yarns out of me. Oh, nonsense, old friend. You're not going to get shirty about a bit of fun. What was that you started telling me the other day about a monkey's paw or something? Nothing. Leastways, nothing worth hearing. Monkey's paw? Oh, you was telling uh, me... Nothing. Don't go on about it. You, you said you always carried it on you. Yeah, so I do. For fear of what might happen. Aye, aye. What's it for? Yeah, you wouldn't believe me if I was to tell you. I will. Every word. Magic, <laughs> then. Don't you laugh? I'm not. Got it on you now? Of course. Let's see it. Oh, wait. Nothing to look at. Just an ordinary little paw. Dry it to a mummy. Here, uh, see for yourself. Oh. Uh, oh, give us a look. Uh, uh. Oh, why, it's all dried up. I said so. Hark at that wind. And, uh... What might there be special about this old poor thing? That there poor has had a spell put upon it. No. Uh, by an old fake here. He was a very holy man. He, he'd sat all doubled up in one spot going on for 15 years, thinking of things. And he wanted to show that fate ruled people. That everything was cut and dried from the beginning, as you might say. That there weren't no getting away from it. And that if you tried to, you caught it not. So he put a spell on this bit of a paw. It might have been anything else, but he took the first thing that come handy. Ah. He put a spell on it and made it so that three people could each have three wishes. <laughs> Don't. But. But, mark you. Though the wishes were granted, those three people would have caused the wish they hadn't been. But how could the wishes be granted? Oh, he didn't say... It would all happen so natural, you might think it a coincidence, if so disposed. Why haven't you tried it, sir? I have. Yeah. You've had your three wishes? Yes. Were they granted? They were. Has uh, anybody else wished? Yes. The first owner had his three wishes. Yes, oh yes, he had his three wishes, all right. I don't know what his first two were. But the third was for death. Oh. That's how I got the poor. <sighs> well, seems to me you've only got to wish for things that can't have any bad luck about. Uh, uh, Maurice, if you've had your three wishes, it's no good to you now. What do you keep it for? Oh, fancy, I suppose. I did have some idea of selling it, but I don't think I will. It's done enough mischief already. 
Besides, people won't buy. Some of them think it's a fairy tale. Some want to try it first and pay after. Oh. <laughs> well, if you could have another three wishes, would you? I don't know. I don't know. No, I'm damned if I would. I'd rather destroy it here and now. In the fire there! Oh, 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 what are you doing? Let's throw it on the fire. Let it burn. Oh, let the infernal thing burn. Let it burn, Paul. No, no, no. If you don't want it, I'll have it. There. It's only singed. My hands are clear of it. I threw it on the fire. If you keep it, don't blame me, whatever happens. Here, pitch it back again. I'm going to keep it. What do you say, Herbert? I say keep it if you want to. Stuff and nonsense anyway. Stuff and nonsense. Yes. I wonder... I wish... Stop! Mind what you're doing. That's not the way. What is the way? Oh, don't have anything to do with it, John. That's what I say, Bob. But if I wanted to tell him, he might go wishing something he didn't mean to. You hold it in your right hand and wish aloud. But I warn you. I warn you. <laughs> Sounds like the Arabian Nights. Don't you think you might wish me four pair of hands? Make cleaning the house a lot quicker. <laughs> right you are, Mother. I wish... Stop that... it! Stop it! If you must wish, wish for something sensible. Look here, I can't stand this. It gets on my nerves. Where's my coat? Hey, hey, I'm coming up your way to the works in a minute. Won't you wait? No, I'm all shook up. I don't want to be here when you wish. And wish you will as soon as me back's turned. I know, I know. But I've warned you, mind. Oh, now, all right, Morris, now. Don't you fret about us. Here. Now, take a little something for the poor. No, 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 I won't. Yes, you will. Put it in the fire. I beg you. Put it in the fire. Good night, Sergeant Major. Good night. Well, if there's no more in this than there is in his other stories, we shan't make much out of it. I wonder. What? I wonder whether we hadn't better chuck it on the fire. Not likely. Why, we're all going to be rich and famous and happy. Throw it on the fire when you give him money for it. <laughs> Not like you, Father. <laughs> Wish to be, um, an emperor, Father, to begin with. Then you can't be end-pecked. <laughs> you young scallywag. <laughs> I wonder. I don't know what to wish for, and that's a fact. I think you've got all I want. Oh, Dad, if you'd only cleared the debt on the house, you'd be quite happy, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, go ahead. Wish for the £200. That'll just do it. Shall I? Go on. Here, I'll play some suitable music. I wish for £200. Oh, my God. What's the matter? It moved. That poor moved, as I wished. It twisted in my hand like a snake. Nonsense, Dad. Why, it's as stiff as a bone. Must have been your fancy, Father. <laughs> well, I don't see the money, and I bet I never shall. Thank God there was no harm done, but it gave me a shock. Half past eleven. I must get along. I'm on at midnight. Don't be late for breakfast, Herbert. I shall be home as usual. Walk home. Does me good. Be with you uh, about nine. Don't wait, though. You know your father never waits. Come on, dear. I'll see you to the door. Good night, Dad. 
You'll find the cash tied up in the middle of the bed. It moved, Herbert. And a monkey hanging by his tail from the bedpost, helping to count the golden sovereign. I wish you wouldn't joke, my boy. All right, Dad. Good night. Yeah. Come and get your coat on. No, what weather. Good night. You need is a good night's sleep. What a morning Herbert's got for walking home. What's well, o'clock? Quarter to nine, I declare. He's off at eight. Mm, well, it takes him half an hour to change and wash. He's just by the cemetery now. He'll be here in ten minutes. Oh, look, there's that dirty monkey's paw by the butter dish. Silly thing. The idea of us listening to such nonsense. <laughs> the sergeant major and his yarns. I suppose all old soldiers are alike. How could wishes be granted nowadays? Oh, been thinking about it all night, have you? All that rubbish about it's making you unhappy if your wish was granted. How could two hundred pounds hurt you, eh, Father? <laughs> Might drop on my head in a lump. Oh, dear. <laughs> I don't see it any other way, and I'd try to bear that. Though, mind you, Morris said it would all happen so naturally that you might take it for a coincidence if so disposed. Well, it hasn't happened, that's all I know, and it isn't going to. And how you could sit there and talk about it... What's that? Postman, of course. He's bought a letter, John. <laughs> what did you think he'd bring? Ton of coals? John. John, suppose... Suppose... Suppose what? it was 200 pounds. Eh? Hey? Here. Oh, don't talk nonsense. Well, why did you fetch it? Well, I'm going to. I'm going to. It's... John, hmm? and it's got something crisp inside it. Who, uh, who's it for? You. Well, hand it over then. Oh, dear. The superstitious old woman you are. Now, where are my specs? Oh, let me open it. Don't you touch it. Where are my specs? Don't let sudden well sour your temper, John. Where do you find my specs? Yep. Yeah. Oh, there they are. Take care, don't tear it. You both dotty and made me nervous. Sir... Enclosed, please find receipt for interest on a mortgage of £200 on your house. Oh. you receipt? That comes of listening to tipsy old soldiers. What does? You thought there was banknotes in it. I didn't. I said all along. Oh, Herbert will laugh when I tell him. No, you're not going to tell him. You're oh. going to keep your mouth shut. That's what you're going to do. Why, I should... I should never hear the last of it. Sir, you're right. I shall tell him. You know how you like his fun. See how he joked you last night when you said the poor moved. So it did. 
It did move. That I'll swear to. Hmm. You thought it did. I say it did. There was no thinking about it. You saw how it upset me, didn't you? Didn't you? Why don't you listen? What is it? Hmm. Nothing. Do you see Herbert coming? No. He's about due. What is it? Nothing. It's only a man. Looks like a gentleman. Leastways, he's in black and he's got a top hat on. Well, what about him? He stood at the garden gate as if he wanted to come in, but he couldn't seem to make his mind up. Oh, go on. You're full of fences. He's going. No, he's coming back. Oh, don't let him see you peeping. He's looking at the house. He's got his hand on the latch. No. He's turned away again. John... He looks like a sort of lawyer. Well, what of it? Oh, you'll only laugh again. But suppose... Suppose he's coming about the 200. Now, you're not to mention it again. You're a foolish old woman. Now, come and eat your breakfast. Where is he now? He's gone down the road. He's turned back. He seems to have made up his mind. Here he comes. Oh, John and me, all untidy. Well, what's it matter? What's it matter? He's made a mistake. He's come to the wrong house. Is this Mr. White? Come in, sir. Please step in. You must overlook how I've been so untidy in the room all anyhow. And John in his garden coat. Oh, John. Good morning. My name is Samson. Won't you please be seated? I think you know. I, I think not. I, I think not. Uh, <clears throat> my name is Samson. I have come... Perhaps you was wishful to see Herbert. He'll be home in a minute. Here's his breakfast. Oh, no, no. Uh, I've come from the electrical works. Why, you might have come with him. Uh, no, no. I, I've come alone. Is anything the matter? I was asked. Herbert. Call. Herbert. Has anything happened? Is he hurt? Is he hurt? There, there, mother. Now, don't you jump to conclusions. Let the gentleman speak. You've not brought bad news, I'm sure, sir. I'm sorry. Is he hurt? I'm afraid he is. Badly? Very badly. Oh, John! Is he in pain? He is not. Not in pain. Oh, thank God. Thank God for that. Thank Go on, sir. <clears throat> he was telling his mates a story. Something that happened here last night. He was laughing and wasn't noticing and... And the machinery caught him. Oh, oh. The machinery caught him? Oh. Yes. And him the only child. It's hard, sir. Very hard. The company wished me to convey their sincere sympathy with you in your great loss. Uh, great loss. I, I was to say the company disclaim all responsibility. But in consideration of your son's services, they wish to present you with a certain sum as compensation. Our great loss. Our great... How? How much? Two hundred pounds. 
where the cemetery is. That's where we've laid him. Aye. A week today. What o'clock is it? I don't know. We don't take much account of time now, Jenny, do we? Why should we? He don't come home. He never come home again. There's nothing to think about. Or to talk about. Come away. You get cold. It's colder. Where he is. No. Gone forever. And taken all our hopes with him. And all our wishes. Aye. And all our... John! Jenny! For God's sake, what's the matter? The paw. The monkey's paw. I want it. You haven't done away with it. I haven't seen it since... I want it. Find it. Find it! Here. Here it is now. What do you want? Didn't I think of it? Why didn't you think of it? Think of what? The other two wishes. What? We've only had one. What's that? No, we'll have one more. Take it. Take it quickly. And wish... Wish what? John. John. Wish our boy alive again. God, are you mad? Take it. Take it and wish... My boy. My boy. Get to sleep. You don't know what you're saying. We had the first wish granted. Why not the second? He's been dead ten days and... Jenny. Jenny. I only knew him by his clothing. If you wasn't allowed to see him then, how could you bear to see him now? I don't care. Bring him back. I don't touch that. Here. Here. Take it. Wish. Wish. Jenny. Wish. 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 I... I wish my son alive again. Nothing. Thank God. Thank God. Nothing at all. Along the whole length of the road, not a living thing. And nothing... Nothing, nothing left in our lives, John. Except each other, Jenny. And memories. We're too old. We were only alive in him. We can't begin again. We can't feel anything now, John, but emptiness and darkness. It isn't for long, Jenny. There's that to look forward to. Every minute's long now. <sighs> I can't bear the darkness. It's dreaming. Where's the candle? And the matches. Where's the matches? We, we mustn't sit in the dark. It isn't wholesome. Yeah. Don't take on so, Mother. I'm a mother no longer. There now, there now. Go on up to bed. Go on. 
I'm a coming. Whether I'm here or in bed or wherever I am, I'm with my boy. I'm with... What's that? A rat. The house is full of them. Now stop. What are you going to do? It's my boy. It's Herbert. I forgot the cemetery was a mile away. What are you holding me for? I must open the door. Monkey's Paw by W. W. Jacobs, adapted by Lewis Parker, featured Jack Watson as Mr. White, Joan Matheson as Mrs. White, Richard Darrington as Herbert, John Hollis as the Sergeant, and Robert Trotter as Samson. The play, recorded in 1978, was directed by Gordon House. Ah, love it. And I hope to bring you more episodes from this particular series. The next radio show is... Murder at Midnight. And this was a syndicated series produced in New York that started on September 16th, 1946, and ended on August 11th, 1947. It was directed by Anton M. Leader and was hosted by Raymond Morgan. The radio play tonight is entitled Ace of Death. And this was an adaptation of the very famous short story, The Suicide Club, written by Robert Louis Stevenson in 1878 and was first published in the London Magazine. Now, this adaptation was written by Max Ehrlich and it was first broadcasted on January 6, 
1947. So you know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to Ace of Death. Mr. Thompson. The, uh, the King of Hearts. Colonel Moore. The Five of Clubs, Mr. President. Count Rizzini. Come, Count, we are waiting. What is your card? Lasso di Spada. I beg your pardon? The Ace of Death. Midnight. The witching hour when the night is darkest, our fears the strongest, and our strength at its lowest ebb. Midnight, when the graves gape open and death strikes. How? You'll learn the answer in just a minute in The Ace of Death. Mystery and Terror by Radio's Masters of the Macabre. Our story, based on Robert Louis Stevenson's immortal suicide club, is by Max Ehrlich. Its title, The Ace of Death. I stood there on the bridge and stared down into the swirling fog. It hid the river like a white shroud. I shivered be cold down there, freezing cold. I would go down, down, deep into the black, watery depths, my ears bursting and my lungs fighting for breath. And then, finally, there would be silence. Silence. And eternal peace. Somewhere, a clock began to chime eleven. The last hour... The last hour of a man's life. My life. I, John Evans, ill and broke without family or friends. Sick and weary of the constant struggle among earthbound mortals. Looked forward to my new future. Death. I put one foot over the bridge rail. My heart pounded. My head throbbed. And then someone came out of the mist and seized me from behind. No, no, no you fool. Don't do it. Not no, this way. Let no. me go. Let me go no, while I still got the courage. Did you hear what I've got to say? Why did you stop me? Why? I wanted to die. I wanted to. I sympathize with you, young man. You see, I too am tired of life and, and seek death. You? You want to die? Yes, but not by drowning. No, my boy. I've made other arrangements. The river is not only a dull way to die, it's positively sordid. The very idea makes me shudder with distaste. Wait, I, I don't understand. It's I... very simple, young man. Now, most of us are too commonplace about the, about the hereafter. We enter it with, with morbid fear and without imagination. Actually, 
death can be glorious. Glorious? Yes, a great new change from our ordinary lifetime routine. A journey into an uncharted world. A man should meet death on the wings of adventure. It should be an exciting and delightful experience. Death? Exciting and delightful? Why not? I've already arranged my decease along these lines. And since you and I have an interest in common, why not join me? Huh? We'll seek death's private door together. Come, young man. Come along with me. Where? To my club. I'll be glad to recommend you for membership. Your club? Yes. It caters to a clientele of gentlemen like ourselves. We call it the Hereafter Club. The whole thing was mad, insane. And yet... Yet it was intriguing, too. I looked hard at the elderly gentleman who'd come out of the fog to pull me from the brink of death, only to offer me a pleasanter and more delightful variety later. He repeated his invitation to join him, and I could see that he was perfectly sincere. I decided to go with him, even though I secretly considered him some kind of a madman. After all, what could I lose now? We took a cab and stopped at a grim-looking building in the silk stocking district on the east side. My elderly friend, whom I now knew as Frederick Whitney, took me into a luxurious reception room and asked me to wait there until he saw the president of the club. Finally, the president himself came out to greet me. He was a man of about 50 with a bald spot on his head, piercing gray eyes and a thin mouth, he smiled and extended his hand to me. Welcome to the Hereafter Club, Mr. Evans. Thank you, Mr. President. Mr. Whitney has recommended you very highly, and I'm delighted to count you among our members. I am pretty vague as to what all this is about, but Mr. Whitney mentioned something about a $400 initiation fee, and, well, I'm tut, afraid tut, I... Tut, my boy, Mr. Whitney knew you were in delicate financial straits and took your initiation fee upon himself. Oh. You were fortunate indeed, Mr. Evans, that he happened along and rescued you from the river. Such a morbid way of entering the hereafter would have been tragic indeed. <laughs> Isn't death in any form uh, tragic? By no means, Mr. Evans. Death can be a triumph, a fine, heady wine, when so designed by a connoisseur. Come, Mr. Evans, follow me. You are about to embark on an exciting and unforgettable experience. Like a man in a dream, I followed the president into a large room. There was a green baize table in the center of it, and several men in evening dress lounged around the room drinking champagne. They seemed nervous and distraught. And when they laughed, it was high-pitched and too loud. They seemed to be waiting for something to happen, some event to begin. As the president and I stood at the door, he turned to me and smiled. These men, Mr. Evans, are charter members of the Hereafter Club. They come from all walks of life, but they have one common desire, death. I see. And uh, what happens now? Our procedure is very simple. We all play a game of cards. A game of cards? A simple but fascinating game of cards. That is, these gentlemen play. As president of the Hereafter Club, I am the dealer. And uh, what is the game? Each man draws a card and turns it face up. The man who is fortunate enough to draw the ace of spades 
dies. For this is the card of death. And uh, how does he die? By the hand of the man who draws the ace of clubs. Oh, I see. The ace of clubs eliminates the ace of spades. <laughs> Precisely. I, uh, how many of these games do you play a night? Just one. But as you can see, Mr. Evans, during its course, a man can live a lifetime of adventure. For this makes of death an exciting game of chance, a game to whip the blood and make the pulses race. You see, one never knows whether he will draw the fatal ace of spades tonight or whether he will survive for weeks or even months. A question, Mr. President. Yes? How much of this can a man stand? I can only answer in this way, Mr. Evans. Our members always come back to the Hereafter Club night after night until they draw the ace of spades. Once a devotee of the game, it's impossible to resist. <sighs> now, but come, we're ready to begin. In a kind of hypnotic trance, I followed the president into the room. But when the members saw him, their conversation stopped suddenly. They put down their champagne glasses, straightened. Their faces grew pale and tense. Their eyes... Brilliant with a mixture of fear and anticipation. The president took a fresh pack of cards from his pocket, and like a magnet attracting iron filings, the men drew close to the baize-covered table. I found myself standing next to Frederick Whitney as the president spoke. Gentlemen of the Hereafter Club, the game is about to begin. Someone here tonight will draw the Ace of Spades. Whoever he is, let me assure him that we will arrange his death so that it will appear to be an accident with no breath of scandal and with no unnecessary anguish to his family. We all know that life is only a stage to play the fool upon, as long as the part amuses us. Now we are wearied of our daily performance and have chosen a civilized and exciting way to quit that stage. Gentlemen, the deal. <laughs> It was a fantastic, weird, monstrous experience. The green baize table, the president puffing on his cigar and dealing a card to each man face down. Each man his face like a graven image turning his card up. I, I could feel the sweat pouring down my forehead. My heart pounded like a hammer. And next to me, Frederick Whitney stood rigid, his eyes shining as the president's voice droned on. Mr. Thompson, your card. They here. The three of diamonds. Colonel Moore. The six of hearts. Mr. Denison. It's... It's the jack of spades. Count Rizzini. The eight of clubs. Mr. Evans. Our new member. The... The, <coughs> the queen of hearts. <laughs> Mr. Whitney. Uh, Mr. Whitney, what is your car? The... The ace of... Clubs. Well, Mr. Whitney, congratulations. You shall be the official agent for tonight. Now let us see whom you will guide into the hereafter. Frederick Whitney left the game and went directly into the president's private office. There was only one card to be drawn now, the ace of death. The tension was almost unbearable. I felt like running away from that table, screaming at the top of my voice, but I didn't. I only stood there, riveted, staring at those cards, listening to the president's hypnotic voice. Mr. Benedict. The tray of spades. Mr. Wallace. Nine of diamonds. Mr. Thompson. The uh, king of hearts. 
Colonel Moore, your card. The five of clubs. Count Rizzini. Count Rizzini, we are waiting. What is your card? Lasso di Spada. I beg your pardon. The Ace of Death. <laughs> I stumbled from that horrible place into the cold night air. I went directly to my room, shaken to the core at what I had seen. In the cold, gray light of the morning, it took on the aspect of a bad dream. A macabre nightmare. I resolved to shrug it off, forget the whole thing. But when I bought a newspaper, the headline struck me like the blow of a hammer. Quickly, my heart beating wildly, I read the lead paragraph. Count Pietro Rizzini, prominent Italian nobleman, was hit and instantly killed at midnight when he stepped off the curb into the path of a speeding taxicab. The Count, who had recently lost his fortune, was with a friend, Mr. Frederick Whitney, when the unfortunate accident occurred. And so, in the darkness of the night, a man who has played a grim game and lost goes to his death as the clock strikes twelve for... Murder! And now here is John Evans again to continue his story. Yes, the Hereafter Club was really a murder club. A racket conceived and created by the polished gentleman who called himself the president. He made a game of death and grew rich on it. For each night, although he lost a member, he made $400, the member's initiation fee. And as the members dropped out, according to Hoyle, there were always plenty of disillusioned neophytes like myself ready to replace them. My first impulse after reading that grisly newspaper announcement was to run to the police. But I had pledged my word to secrecy. And besides... Besides, I wanted to go back. I had to go back. The thrill of the game was in my blood. I fought to resist it, but... It was like a hypnotic drug. Time after time, I went back to the Green Bay's table, and... Then, one night... Your card, Mr. Whitney? Come, sir. What is your card? The ace of spades. Now, my friend, Frederick Whitney, the man who'd introduced me into the Hereafter Club, had drawn the ace of death. His string had run out. He was through. I stared at him. He was calm. And there was a half-smile on his face. He seemed almost glad that for him the game was over. The president kept on dealing. Mr. Thompson, your card? The uh, Jack of Hearts. Colonel Moore... Full of speech. Mr. Denison? The... The ace of diamonds. Mr. Benedict. Ten of club. Mr. Evans. They were waiting for me. Come, come, Mr. Evans. Your card? I... <laughs> the ace of clubs. Oh, Congratulations, Mr. Evans. Only your sixth evening at our club, and you draw a winning card. Now, if you'll join Mr. Whitney and myself in my private office, we'll arrange... The details. 
instructions were simple. I was to drive Mr. Whitney into the garage of his home, leave him in the car with a motor running. That was all. And so without a word, I got behind the wheel and drove my elderly benefactor to the appointed place. We looked at each other there in the garage, and then he said... John, if anyone had to draw the ace of clubs, I'm glad it was you. No, Mr. Whitney, look here, I... I don't want to kill you. I, you know I don't. Let's end this farce. Let's go to the police and end this monstrous thing. No, John. You forget I, I'm a murderer. I have already killed. And I'd rather die by carbon monoxide gas in this comparatively painless way than in the electric chair. But the police will never know that you were responsible for Rizzini's death. If we expose the hereafter club, the president would be sure to tell him. There must be a way somehow. No, my boy. I have chosen death. My time has come. In a way, I'm glad. (coughs) Everything is resolved. There is no more waiting. Waiting for the fatal card. It's over now. (coughs) Go. Go, my boy. Leave the garage. Slam the door. No, no, Mr. Whitney. (coughs) For God's sake, turn off the motor before... Go. Go, John, before it's too late. Hurry. Don't worry about me. I have sought death for weeks. Now I welcome it. Meet it gladly. I staggered to the garage door, went out and slammed it shut. I heard the motor still going. Five minutes. Ten minutes. I knew that it was the end now for Frederick Whitney. I looked at my luminescent watch. It was just... Midnight. I walked the streets for hours after that. Now I was a murderer. True, I had killed with my victim's consent, but I had killed. Now, as the dawn came, I began to shake with a cold rage against the connoisseur of death who called himself the president. Men killed. Men died, and he profited without risk. He always dealt the game and never participated. He was a prince of ruin. And unfortunate men like myself could not resist what he had to offer. And so, like a smiling Satan in formal clothes, exerting a demoniac spell upon the fools who played his game, he watched them destroy each other. That night, I went to the Hereafter Club, and just before the game confronted him... Ah, good evening, Mr. Evans. I see you are back again tonight. Yes, Mr. President, I'm back again. And I want to congratulate you... Indeed? On what? On your financial vision in starting this club. By simple mathematics, it nets you a handsome profit. We play five evenings a week, and each evening you make $400. That, Mr. President, adds up to $2,000 a week. Yes, it's a tidy sum, Mr. Evans, to be sure. But to tell you the truth, tonight we play our last game... Our last game? Yes. To be frank with you, Mr. Evans, the sport of the game is beginning to pall on me. I've decided to retire to the country and pursue the delights of horticulture. Flowers are my hobby, you know. Oh, I see. Even you can tire of sending men to their deaths. And just what do you mean by that, Mr. Evans? I mean that you are a coward, Mr. President. You have created a monstrous game. And yet you haven't the courage to play it yourself. You question my courage, then, Mr. Evans? I do. And I question your honor, too. It seems to me that if you profit by your clients, you should take the same risk they do. Hmm. 
You are a very impertinent young man, but I cannot let your accusations go without rebuttal. <laughs> Indeed, it might be an interesting experience to play this last game myself. A kind of fitting climax to a successful career. Of course, Mr. Evans, I'll demand a handsome apology when it's over. You don't mean that you are actually going to take a chance. Yes, why not? I've often been intrigued by the excitement of my clients. Now, I might as well savor that excitement myself. Before I close the Hereafter Club. The news that the president was going to play created a sensation among the members. He dealt around. And then another. And the third time around, for the second night in a row, I drew the murder card. The ace of clubs. The president smiled his congratulations at what he called my phenomenal luck and continued. Mr. Thompson, your card. The uh, two spades. Colonel Moore. The king of hearts. Mr. Dennison. The seven of clubs. Mr. Benedict. Queen of diamonds. And now, gentlemen, I'll turn over my own card. <gasps> Congratulations, Mr. President. You have drawn the ace of spades. The president's face was immobile. Not an eyelash flickered. We went into his private office and his words were calm as he explained the evening's arrangements. I had drawn the murder card and he had drawn the death card. Yet, judging by his unworried attitude and serene bearing, it might have been the other way around. I couldn't help a flicker of admiration for him. As for me, I was eager to do my part. To kill this man who had been caught at the last moment in his own net. He had sent many a man to his death, and now he had to meet it himself. There is a railroad bridge on the outskirts of town, Mr. Evans. It has a low railing, and below it an express train passes, exactly at midnight. You will push me over that rail into the path of the locomotive. And now, if you're ready, let us go. We didn't speak on the trip out to the bridge. It was a cold night. We stood there, shivering and waiting. Finally, in the distance... That was it. The midnight train. I could see its bright headlight flickering as it approached. Then the president spoke. Mr. Evans, of course we are not going through with this. Of course we are, Mr. President. Look here, my dear boy. As you know, the Hereafter Club is disbanded. Unlike my clients, I have no desire to die. There's no point in doing so. Well, you are going to die, Mr. President, just as you have sent others. I'll see to it myself. Be reasonable, Mr. Evans. I have everything to live for, and so can you have. Now then, I'm a very wealthy man, and I'm quite sure you could use, say, $10,000. Get close to that rail, Mr. President. I suggest you listen to reason, Mr. Evans. The others died without a whimper. You sent them into the hereafter, and now you're going yourself as you deserve. You're a very stubborn young man, Mr. Evans. Let's... No, drop that gun. Don't. Try to kill me, will you? Well, you got me in the arm, that's all. And now oh, you're going over that trail. Don't, don't. I'll give you anything. Anything over you. Don't. No. No.
When the train had passed, I saw what was left of his body on the tracks. Slowly, with dragging footsteps, I walked down the street toward the twin green lights of the police station. Now, like the others, I'm ready for the end. The doors of the police station open and close on the man who trumped the ace of death. The man who now seeks his own dark destiny as the clocks strike twelve for... Murder at Midnight. Remember to be with us again when death deals his final hand and the clocks strike twelve for... Murder at midnight. The part of John Evans was played by Carl Swenson. The president of the Hereafter Club was John Griggs. With music by Bert Berman, Murder at Midnight was directed by Anton M. Leader. listening and remember you can find me on facebook at facebook.com slash terror 1970 or you can look me up on instagram at radio show nerd or on twitter at radio show nerd one or if you want to drop me a line just to say hello a suggestion a request hey maybe even a critique feel free to email me at radio show nerd at gmail.com And I do have a new YouTube channel, Terror Radio Podcast. So please check it out. Like the videos, highly appreciated. Again, this is your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, signing off.